Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. So... Turn up your Walkman, loosen that scrunchie, and get ready to talk 80s with your host, Lindsay Parker. Hi, I'm Lindsay Parker from Yahoo Entertainment and Sirius XM Volume, and welcome to another episode of Totally 80s. We love hearing from you guys, so why not take a second to follow us on Totally 80s on Facebook and Instagram, or you can also email us your comments and show ideas to podcast at totally80s.com. And just a reminder, if you want to see our lovely faces. You can catch this episode on video as well on our Totally 80s YouTube channel, so go check that out. And joining me today is the Kenny Loggins to my Michael McDonald, as always, my partner. You're not a Messina? (laughs) I don't know. You know, we're going to get deep into the the Doobie Brothers axis of things, but you know, I hear the drums echoing tonight, so I'm wondering, John, are you ready to steal away into the night? I am, and I feel like I feel like I should speak like uh, Mr. Howell. And oh. <laughs> well, I can go for that. So obviously, today we are discussing yacht rock, and we've got such a long way to go. So we better get started because we have not one but two special guests today. Our first special guest has been a writer and editor for the All Music Guide and has been featured as a commentator on VH1's 100 Greatest Countdown series. But most importantly, what makes him uniquely qualified for today's subject is he is the co-host of the Beyond Yacht Rock podcast, and he is the host of arguably what started it all, not even arguably, what started it all in terms of the genre having a name. He was the host of the legendary web series, Yacht Rock. He is also the author of an upcoming book on Yacht Rock. Welcome, Steve Huey, a.k.a. Hollywood Steve. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. Are you ready to sail away, Steve? Always. Awesome. (laughs) Pretty much always. We've got two guests today, and both of you guys are very uniquely qualified, because literally, if you look up Yacht Rock on Wikipedia, both Steve and our other guests show up. You're both credited So this is pretty awesome to have you both. Our second guest today is the founder of Superior Music Publishing, specializing in film and TV music placement. And she's also very uniquely qualified because she is the host of the monthly Soft Rock Sunday event at the Love Song Bar in L.A. And that makes her the person that we had to have on board. We're going to sail away into the night. If you haven't guessed, obviously, we are talking about Soft Rock. Please welcome in joining Marikugi. Hello. Hello. (laughs) So... I think we should just, you know, dive right into the deep end of the Yacht Rock world. Oh, because man, it is going to be fantastic today, huh? <laughs> I know. So it's safe to say Yacht Rock, it's a relatively new-ish term. I would say, is it safe to say, Steve, that the term came up in 2005 because of the Yacht Rock series? It's so ubiquitous now. There are Yacht Rock events. There was a Yacht Rock event at the Hollywood Bowl. There's a Sirius XM channel. But it all started with this one of the earliest like viral sensations, which was the Yacht Rock series. Yes, we, we, we claim credit for coming up with the term and most certainly for popularizing it. Um, there's 
There was an old Wikipedia edit somewhere that said, actually, somebody used this in like 1985 to describe a Jimmy Buffett concert in some local newspaper. But that's not that's not really where it came from. It came from us. And we're happy to claim credit for that. Yeah, we're going to need some proof if that's going to be the claim. We'll need to see a clipping, please. How, how did you come up with the term Yacht Rock? The creators of the Yacht Rock web series, my buddies, uh, J.D. Riznar and Hunter Stare, were trying to develop a web series where it was th- where this music was going to be the soundtrack to it. And the original idea was it was going to be about jewel thieves who lived on a houseboat <laughs> because they had access to a houseboat where they could shoot. And as they kicked the ideas around, it was, it turned into, why don't we just make the show about the music instead of this whole mess? And so kind of the, the nautical theme sort of stuck with it. Like, Oh, how's, Oh yeah, this is, we'll call it yacht rock because it's high end. You know, this is this is high end music by seasoned studio pros and it sounds really expensive and you have to play it on expensive hi-fi equipment to really get the most out of it. Oh, that's an interesting um, way. So to, it's, yeah. it's really, you know, I think as the years have gone on, we've come to see the yacht as much more of a metaphor than a literal. Like it's not it's not necessarily literally about boating. Not necessarily, but it's a plus if it is about sailing or yachts or whatever. But there are some factors I saw listed on the Wikipedia page. And Mara, you wrote pretty much a thesis about this for the now yeah. defunct Music Aficionado site, which uh, luckily, thanks to the Wayback Machine, I was able to check out. But here are some of the things. High production value. Use of elite L.A.-based studio musicians and producers. Jazz and R&B influences. Electric piano usage. Complex and wry lyrics. Lyrics about heartbroken and foolish men, particularly involving the word fool. I believe in it. And an upbeat rhythm called the doobie bounce. So these are some of the elements, the crew, the elements, all music, which of course Steve writes for says, you know, emphasis more on melody than the beat, keeping the emotions light, even when the sentiment turns sad and always keep it catchy, no matter how modest or deeply buried in the track list the tune happens to be. So these are a bunch of elements. But Mary, I want to talk to you since you wrote this uh, this uh, thesis-type story. <laughs> Yacht rock and soft rock, I think we need to define the terms before we start getting into the artists and stuff, because there's overlap between the two genres, but they are different things. So what is Yacht Rock and what is soft rock and how do they meet in the middle? Well, I think that soft rock is a broader genre than yacht rock. I think that soft rock is tied in to kind of a specific group of musicians and their influences, but soft rock is more about the genre. So anyone could come up with a soft song. So you end up with, um, you know, Dean Friedman's Ariel, which is a soft song that was apparently popular on the East Coast, um, because I don't remember it, but it was a big deal on the East Coast. And he didn't have a connection to anybody, but he did create a song that was soft and fit in nicely on soft playlist. And you even get these artists creating soft rock songs who aren't soft in the slightest, like Alice Cooper doing Only Women Bleed or um, Kiss and Beth. I got to say that's a soft rock song, but not a soft rock artist. Um, Now we're going to get some overlap because we have Christopher Cross, who pretty much is a Venn diagram that's a circle with soft and yacht. <laughs> <laughs> but what makes it yacht? I mean, obviously, Christopher Cross being a great example because, you know, his biggest song or his first really big hit was Sailing. 
but not all of the and ride like the wind was also referencing you know uh nautical activities if i'm not mistaken but like what you know it doesn't have to be about yachts and the beach and the sea it helps but what makes it yacht rock specifically is there a difference steve i think you should grab this one <laughs> i the uh the more rigorous definition that we the creators of the term have come up with in more recent years is the way that we think of it now is yacht rock is essentially the extended steely dan family tree <laughs> these are guys it starts with guys who played on steely dan albums went out into the big wide world brought what they learned from steely dan into the the broader land of soft rock and just kind of brought this bag of jazz and r&b tricks into soft rock and, and there's this subtle shift from you know, if, if you look at the number one hits on the adult contemporary charts in the late 70s it's a lot of very very soft country rock and just that sort of that sort of realm yacht rock sort of brings this very subtle the very subtle influence of traditionally black music onto the adult contemporary charts um and so this this there it's there's it's, it's unified a lot by the studio personnel that's that backs all these records. And there are some self-contained bands that fall into the category like uh, Ambrosia or Pablo Cruz or player or artists like that. But in large part, it's this, it's this session musician community uh, of the late seventies and early eighties. That's jazz trained, has a lot of chops, very versatile, can play anything they're called upon to play. And this collective just sort of develops their own distinct sound. And it's defining what Yacht Rock is, is kind of like playing spot the influence on individual tracks a lot of the time is, is how we've kind of come to think of it. Well, I'm curious when the Yacht Rock um, web series started and became this phenomenon and then began the term Yacht Rock. You know, obviously it was spoofing a lot of artists like, you know, Holland Oates and Christopher Cross and uh, Toto and bands like that. Like, was it well received among those artists or were they like insulted by it? I think now they probably embrace it, but I've talked to people like Christopher Cross when I interviewed him and they don't, you know, do they shy away from the term or are they like totally into it? I, th I, th I th there, it feels to me like there's some ambivalence, like they like what it's done for their careers. It's, you know, it's helped keep <laughs> them in the spotlight. It's, you know, they can go on tour again and play to bigger audiences. They, Back when people could make money from downloads, their their iTunes downloads went way up all of a sudden. But I think a lot of them, because they're not used to having a lot of critical respect for their music, they're still kind of like, are, are they making fun of? Do they do they like us? Do they actually like us? Are they just making fun of us? Is it a weird thing of both? Like, it's it's, it, I think it's weird for some of them to when they're not used to getting love letters at all, suddenly start getting love letters from smart asses. <laughs> How do I read this? I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Well, we talked about the musicianship and you, you were talking about the Steely Dan connection, but in your article, Mara, uh, the music aficionado article that you read, you talk about something called the Michael McDonald, Kenny Loggins axis. <laughs> yeah. It feels like all paths, all, all, all journeys of the yacht eventually sail somewhere into the vicinity of those two. So tell me what this axis entails. I, I feel that we kind of have a, you know, we've got a family tree 
And they're kind of like the Kevin Bacon of it. I feel like <laughs> Kenny Loggins, you see Steve's nodding. It's like, you have Kenny yeah. Loggins, Michael McDonald. I think I'm shifting away from his Steely Dan family tree, slightly more uh, doobie word, but I think mm -hmm. we're on the same, like, you know, the same thing here. Um, but it's, um, I would say that basically most of the artists who are in the Yacht Rock tree have either worked with Kenny Loggins or Michael McDonald or worked with someone who's worked with them. And I don't even think we have to get out to another, um, you know, another degree. I think we're pretty much <laughs> gotten it there. So that's where you get, we're getting different from soft rock. Cause soft rock, you've got John Denver and, you know, just people mm. who are making songs that fit in on the radio perfectly well with the softer yacht rock, but just were not connected to it. This is why I get frustrated when I go to like some yacht rock event and you know they're just playing like you know i don't know uh, england dan and john ford coley or something <laughs> <laughs> well we we talked I, about oh sorry go ahead steve that's 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 at least more forgivable than like just eddie money or something it's <laughs> ah, yeah. into this random 80s song that Hey, this sounds good on a boat, I guess. That must be Yacht Rock. And like, no, 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 no. How did, how did Fleetwood and Mac escape this tag? Uh, I would argue Christy McVie songs are Yacht Rock. Uh-oh. Silence. Silence. <laughs> that's a, that's a pregnant pause right there. My way of thinking, there's not enough jazz or R&B in Fleetwood Mac. Like, it has, it has this very... LA studio sheen to it you know it very it's, it's it's got the high production values but it's it's it to me it's more its own thing it's it's a, it's its own brand of soft rock that doesn't have roots in in black music for the most okay. part well we you know obviously the this genre and the well this kind of dual hybrid genre soft rock and yacht rock you know, its origins and, you know, arguably its glory days were in the 70s. But of course, this is the totally 80s podcast. So we're going to focus on 80s stuff. And we, you know, we might as well start talking about Christopher Cross because we already name checked him because he was so huge. Besides the fact that obviously he had a song called Sailing. So there you go. Exactly 40 years ago, 1981, he made Grammy history that was not repeated or equaled until Billie Eilish did it about 38 years later when he swept the big four album song record of the year and best new artist, And then it was kind of over almost immediately. He, re, you know, he was so big for a moment and I don't think he gets his due. So let's, let's talk about like how important he was and why his, you know, his moment in the spotlight was so, so short lived really. I'm a big fan. I think he got killed by MTV. I think he got killed by John Taylor. Who I love. <laughs> But who, you know, not, looked good on a yacht in the Rio video, but was not doing Yacht Rock. Right, right. I think this was, <laughs> there was, you know, Christopher Cross was killing off the fantasy that all singers are just magnetic and charismatic and and gorgeous. You know, Hall & Oates did okay, you know. Hall & Oates definitely transitioned, but actually you bring up a good point. So MTV really hurt Christopher Cross, and obviously he won the Grammys, all those Grammys, five months before MTV premiered. Air Supply, I don't know if you could, I, I certainly would consider them soft rock. I don't know if I consider them hard rock. They had like number one and top 10 songs in 1981. And I don't think MTV, I mean, I interviewed uh, the guys from Air Supply and they said MTV never played them once. So like, what was it that was this backlash? It was it just like be, people didn't think that this music was was cool 
Was it the fact that they didn't look a certain way? Or was it the fact that they didn't, uh, was it, were they partially at blame and that they didn't embrace the medium and make music videos? Unlike Hall & Oates, who totally did make some videos, some of which were actually, like, some of which haven't aged well, but some of which were pretty awesome. Like, what was it that, like, this Wait, genre... Are you saying the video for adult education did not age well, Lindsay? I'm going to have to argue with you. There. I mean, we all know that... Uh, uh, their 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 best video they did was the one in 1973 for cable access, but that's that's a whole other show. But the uh, yeah, so like, what was it? Was it a was it a combination of them just not embracing the medium, or was it the fact that MTV wasn't going to play them even if they did? Like, why didn't why didn't most of these artists transition into the kind of new wave MTV era? I you would know. like to say, though, Christopher Cross had, he did win, um, well, he, he didn't win the Academy Award for Song of the Year, right? But didn't Arthur win? Mm -hmm. for Song yeah, of the Arthur, Arthur won an Oscar. Oscar. I yes. also want to point out that an early video that Christopher Cross made was directed by David Fincher before David Fincher was famous. So he tried. MTV and, didn't play it, though. And he definitely tried. And uh, I, I also wonder if there's a bigger picture. When did adults stop buying music? You know, because you call it yacht rock, you call it soft rock, but it's really pop music for adults, right? Yes. And, and I think that's part of why MTV didn't play those guys is they're shooting for a very specific demographic, and uh, these get you know these guys are making sophisticated music for grownups. It's not appealing to youth audiences. I didn't get into it until I was in at least thirty, and I uh, Hall and Oates. I mean, not only did they embrace the video medium, they switched their sound up to encompass more of the new wave movement mm -hmm. in the early 80s. So as did I Chicago, their sound and their image kind of fit. Now, Chicago is a different thing. because Well, they didn't change their sound so much, but video wise, they actually really went for it and it kind of worked for them. Yeah. But yeah. And also uh, Chicago, when they hooked up with David Foster, they had a producer who had up to that point been essentially making yacht rock for the previous several years and i think the main reason they got out of it is just that peter satara is not a blue-eyed soul singer and so they kind of went more into the power ballad territory which is to me power ballads are not yacht rock they're not smooth they're bombastic which is why i love them i was raised on them uh, you will never hear me say a bad word about the existence of power ballads, but I also don't think that they're Yacht Rock. Okay. There's never any Venn diagram where they overlap even slightly, like the, the size of the circle. Very, very, very slight. All right. Well, there's, let's... There's a level of drama in and not playing it cool in power ballads that kind of pushed them out of Yacht territory. Yeah, I, I would never imagine a song like Making Love Out of Nothing at All would be considered Yacht Rock. It's so... No bombastic Jim Steinman. Yeah. Exactly. It's not smooth. It's amazing, but it's not smooth. Right. <laughs> well, like I said, this is the totally 80s podcast. So even though like the genre was already starting to fade from being in vogue by 1981, there were definitely artists and songs from the genre that were on MTV and did well. And I definitely want to talk about some of your favorites, but I, I feel like now that we've talked about Christopher Cross, who did not make that transition smoothly, we do have to talk about someone at Wood because I'm really curious your, for your thoughts. First of all, if you consider this a Yacht Ross song, which I do. But more importantly, why is it that Africa by Toto became like the song that won't go away? I mean, you know, it's been parodied so many times. 
spoofed so many times. It's referenced in pop culture. So many like hip hop artists have sampled it. Everyone's cover, like Weezer cover. Everyone covers this song. The song just continues to grow in popularity. Like it never, it, I don't, maybe it went away for a minute, but it's been back for a long time. What is it about this specific song that kind of like is the one that's in Stranger Things and like is the one that everybody like knows and loves? And do you consider it Yacht Rock? I guess that's actually where we should start. Yes, I would. Okay. (laughs) Good. Good good to know that. I do as well. But what is it about this song that kind of captured not just the the generation, but the new generation? Like Gen Z people know this song. um, I think it should be either Hold the Line or 99. I think those are way better songs. I think it should be Rosanna. Rosanna. I think yeah. Rosanna is, you know, everybody talks about the Beach Boys' good vibrations being this miniature pop symphony. I think Rosanna is a miniature pop symphony. But what is it? Why do you have any theories? Was there, you know, a specific time when it, you know, was rediscovered in pop culture by someone covering it or a TV show featuring it or whatever that made this like the go-to Yacht Rock song that even like, you know, total Gen Z TikTokers know. Everyone knows this song. And I like the song, by I, the way. I, I, I'm I not really sure, but I, my, my theory is that it's a very, very catchy piece of music and nobody understands the lyrics. Like, what is this song about? I'm not sure. I have to sit here and listen to it 20 times trying to figure it out. And the then video- just stick in your head and you can't get it out of your head. But you're still just kind of fascinated by this. What what are they on about exactly here? The Sarah Mangetti, Kilimanjaro, yes. I believe. The video is not aged from? well. The video directed by Steve Barron, who is, of course, a, a, a directing god who directed like Take On Me and Money for Nothing and Billy Jean. But the video is not aged that well. It's a little colonial. It's not. But I was I wrote an article recently about this. I, I counted. 41 cover versions of the song and that was four years ago that was in well that was in 2018 three years ago so apparently there's probably been more but it's been like parody it's been in stranger things it's been in family guy and there's just something about how this became like the song and i'm just uh, jason derulo's cover some of the people have sampled it Nas, exhibit ja rule wiz khalifa jason derulo jojo some of the other people have covered it. CeeLo, Howie Day, Eric Benet, Reliant K, Avant, St. Lucia. You know, like the list goes on. I just wonder, like, why it's this song? And what song besides other Toto songs? Like, what song do you think of the 80s should have been the one that's like the ubiquitous, like, totally 80s Yacht Rock Meme. song? <laughs> I think it should be what a fool believes, in all honesty. I think that is like... What do you think, Steve? I feel like the, if you had to pick one, the single most definitive Yacht Rock song, that's the one. It's a great song. And it's it misses the 80s by a year. It's got the doobies bounce. Yep. <laughs> what, what is the doobies bounce? What does that mean? It's, uh, it, it's a term that came from our podcast, and we were trying to feel like we hear the, the, that back and forth, up and down, what a fool believes piano line echoed in so many other songs after that comes out. Um, Steal Away by Robbie Dupree He's So Shy by the Pointer Sisters um, uh, 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 Get Used to It by Roger Verduris. Um Some other there's, there's so many I can't even spring They don't even spring to mind all at once But it's, it's, it's like people are riffing off of this riff Trying to throw it into the background Of anything they're doing To kind of contemporize the sound of what they're doing And get it on the radio 
And more often than not, it seems to work. Like, oh, that reminds me of that great Doobie Brothers song. Let's 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 throw this on. So, what other songs from the '80s, specifically, that qualify soft or qualifies yacht rock in particular, would you recommend that maybe are not the obvious ones, the deep cuts? Let's see. Um, I would recommend anything off of Quincy Jones's 1981 album, The Dude. Okay. That is. That I'm not is, even kidding. That my recommendation was going to be 100 ways. So. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. We're all, that is it. That's the definitive recommendation here. People think that yes, people. I think people tend to think of yacht rock as this very white kind of music, and what mm -hmm. you get, what you get kind of after the disco uh, demolition uh, backlash in '79, uh, you get black artists trying to reinvent their sound for the post-disco era. Hmm. And they start to draw upon Yacht Rock as this, this thread of something that's out there that they can do. And the dude is like ground zero for that. Yeah. And it's, it uses a lot of the, the, like the Yacht Rock studio guys, like Steve Lukather is on that album, a bunch of other guys. Um, there's a lot of Yacht Rock on it. It's... Uh, and then it, it starts to spin off these other artists like Patty, Patty Austin and James Ingram both get their solo debuts off of that record. They do Baby Come to Me, which is like a definitive Yacht Rock song from 82-83. And it's, it's, it's also kind of the springboard to Thriller. Toto, Toto is all over Thriller. Human Nature was a Toto song that didn't make the Toto album. And that was written by Steve. Was written by really? Carl, yes. Wow. Oh, Steve Carl. Yeah, Steve Carl with lyrics by John Bettis, who used to work with the Carpenters. Is there a version of that that exists, like you know, an, uh, like unreleased, leaked version on the internet somewhere of the the pre the Toto version of it for all mm -hmm. intents and purposes? No, I don't think so. From what I read, it was just uh, it was just this instrumental that was on the B side of a tape that wasn't meant for Quincy Jones to hear. And they played through the songs that Steve Perkara submitted. And like, eh. and then the tape flipped over and they heard that instrumental. Like, Ooh, what's that? I am wondering, I mean, Toto obviously is an exception to this because they were huge and Africa was all over MTV, just as was Rosanna, just like MT, uh, Michael Jackson was. But, you know, the emphasis on the great musicianship, you know, the studio musicianship, the Pocaros of the world, do you think that was a reason for part of the uh, backlash or the that falling out of favor at the time? Because it wasn't like cool to be such a great studio musician. It wasn't like punk rock or, or DIY or hip enough to have like top top of the line musicians on a record. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is uh, when punk and new wave came out, it was this emphasis on uh, feeling and inspiration over craft. Like this, like, yeah, this is the raw rebellious rock and roll energy that I want out of rock and roll. All these other guys, they, they learn to play. It's just, you know, it's, it's, there's less feeling to, there's less, there's less quote unquote authenticity to it in the minds of some people. But I think that that craft is a big reason behind the revival of it. Like now that it's, it doesn't have this uh, cultural baggage behind it anymore. It's either 30, 40 years on. People can go back and listen to it. Wow, this is really well-crafted music. This really sticks in my head. There's a lot going on here. It goes in a lot of unexpected directions that my ears wouldn't necessarily predict that they're going with it. And I think that's 
an enormous part of the revival is like once people get over the, you know, the image, the public image of it, and they start listening to it, then they can pick up the, this is really good music. This is really good. Why didn't people like this? Exactly. Mara, when did you, uh, you know, obviously you have a successful soft rock DJ night in LA and it, you know, you've, you, you, it's kind of become part of your brand. You DJ events where you play this music. When did you start to notice the Renaissance and realize there was a market to have a live event like this? Was it because of the Yacht Rock web series or when, when did you get the idea when, for it? It was when I heard, I was driving home and I was listening to one of the Sirius XM stations and I heard the beautiful Alice Cooper soft rock song, I'll Never Cry, or I Never Cry, sorry, which I just love. And I was like, like, you can go to a club and hear 80s music like anywhere. You can go to a club and hear The, hear the Clash or Blondie, or, you know, you can hear disco, you can hear punk rock, but you could not go to a club and hear England Dan and John Ford Coley. <laughs> but those songs were massive. I mean, record sales in the actual a early 80s for whatever Christopher Cross or, or of Seals and Crofts or whatever. These were massive, massive artists. And the song of the year Grammy went for four years in a row to soft rock song. But in the 80s, the 70s seemed so painfully uncool in a way that you can't imagine now looking back at both of them. And I don't remember the 80s feeling this uncool in the 90s or the 90s ever feeling this uncool, but there's something in the 80s where you were all just like you wanted to be new wave and like punk rock and, and just look really like slick. And you just look at these like disco outfits and like just you're like, oh, I think we need to move on from that. And mm -hmm. it just felt painfully, painfully uncool in the 80s. And it took a little bit of time to kind of recover from that. But I, this happens to a lot of artists. I mean, I remember in, in the 80s, there was a period when Hall & Oates were pretty uncool, even though they were big. Like nobody who liked the Ramones would listen to Hall & Oates. It just wasn't happening. And Queen, I remember Queen in the 80s, everyone thought of them as bombastic and slick and like you know, just this dramatic, uncool thing. And now look, I mean, everyone loves Queen. It's because we're now divorced from the cultural context that, that people didn't want to hear it because of that. And then now, separated from that, you can just appreciate it purely on musicianship. Well, in the words of Christopher Cross, we've got such a long way to go. We're riding like the wind. There's so much more to discuss. Can we keep this yacht uh, journey going? And can I have you come sail back onto the podcast next week to talk some more? Sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you. We'll see you guys next week. In the meantime, I'm Lindsay Parker, and I've also been joined by the Loggins to my Messina, the Hall, to my Oats, Mr. John Hughes. We want to thank you for listening, and remember to give us a rate and review on your favorite podcast platform, and we'll catch you next time. This was Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Totally 80s, and please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next episode, catch you on the flip side.